Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us study the living, active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, November 3rd, we're studying 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1-16. through 16. St. Paul begins to instruct Timothy concerning the lives of Christians in the church within their various vocations. Today's text speaks primarily to those who are widows among God's people. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sam Wergau. Pastor Wergau serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wergau, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Always good to be with you. Let's talk context to get us started. Pastor Wergau, what do we need to know about the preceding part of this epistle that helps us into today's text? Yeah, I think, well, there's a lot here. I mean, obviously, uh, we commonly call the uh, Timothy, First and Second Timothy and Titus, uh, Paul's pastoral epistles, right? Because he's writing to Timothy and Titus, uh, who are pastors in, in the church, uh, which is important for us to understand that context. But I think we often lose sight when we talk about these as pastoral epistles. Well, then what's the application for those who aren't pastors? Well, everything, because obviously you don't have a pastor without having the church and you don't have the people. Uh, and so I think you did well in that introduction when you're talking about um, how this um, uh, epistle is really speaking to the various uh, uh, positions, parts of the church, uh, vocation. I think that's what it kind of comes down to is, is the vocations in the church, the different callings that God has called Christians to. Uh, and, and I think a majority of, of um, what we have before us today in uh, the beginning of uh, 1 Timothy 5 uh, deals, of course, with um, the office of we, we often, or the vocation, uh, we often don't think of it as a vocation, but it is the vocation of a widow. Uh, it's, it's a specific calling that God gives in life in which those who were married, who did have spouses, uh, those spouses are no longer uh, with them as they've been, uh, well, presumably called to glory uh, or have died. They've been separated and that calling has changed in life. I think though we shouldn't neglect, which we'll see here too at the beginning of five, the first two verses uh, are, are a beautiful way of us looking at the the church as the household of God as well. So com- coming up to five though, you know, we've, we have talked a lot about, um, Paul has been uh, instructing Timothy uh, more and more in um, uh, the daily life of the church, uh, in the teachings of the church, and especially uh, the, the emphasis for for Timothy uh, is is to be kind of built up and uh, in, in, in against these attacks that'll come against the church, where uh, we're we're not we're we're pulled away from that true teaching of the faith and how that teaching also resonates into our callings in life and how we are to live. And of course, that'll come to fruition as we see here his specific instructions uh, to um, how to um, minister, to be a pastor to the, the widows of the church. Within this section particularly, and not only what we have for today, but as the text continues through the epistle, it, you do really get to the part of the epistle that is most easily and readily applicable to those who are not pastors. Because as, as we'll see, certainly there's a lot of talk from Paul as to how Timothy is to be a pastor to different people in different vocations in life. But within that, there's then also instruction 
for those people who find themselves in their vocations. Whereas, say, the, the previous text, the end of chapter four, was very much directed toward Timothy acting as a pastor. And as you said, that doesn't mean that it's completely off limits for those who are not given the office of pastor, but it's maybe a little bit harder for for a layperson to read, say, yesterday's text, 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 16, and say, well, how am I to do this, you know, command and teach these things? Well, that right. that's maybe not my office. Right. As we start today's text, Paul really does now begin to address Timothy concerning these various vocations, and, and you can look in those when you find yourself in that vocation, there's definitely instruction there. So, I mean, a, a very practical, not that the rest of scripture is not practical, but certainly a practical in the sense of, of day-to-day living, which I think is is maybe worth just a moment of reflection, is that in this very, what seems like a very churchly word, vocation, Paul's going to talk about just everyday life, that how you've received the good doctrine now goes out and affects how you live as a Christian in everyday living. Yeah, precisely. You're exactly right. I mean, yeah, we, we think of vocation kind of as one of those, uh, uh, I like how you said that, churchy words or something. But I mean, this is how our faith in Christ is then lived in the world, in those places that God has called us to, and how God works, right, in our relationships to one another, and how we live uh, in faith to God and in love toward one another, which is how God's word directs us to live, right? Not for self, but for others. And I think what you'll see here then is the church's role in this and how she uh, lives in her various relationships uh, and how um, she then also provides, uh, I think we see it here with widows, not only for the spiritual needs, though that's of the utmost important, but even for those who are left without anything, those who are truly widows, that they are provided for, for all their needs of body and soul. Let's go ahead and read the text then. We are in First Timothy chapter 5. Verses 1 through 16. Paul writes, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened 
so that it may care for those who are truly widows. That is our text for today, 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 through 16. So, Pastor Wergau, verses 1 and 2 of this text really seem to stand as an introduction to this larger section, which goes beyond today's text, where, where Paul now is telling Timothy, here's how you serve as a pastor to various people in your congregation. Start taking us into those first two verses of this text. Yeah, it's great. I love how you put that. It's an introduction, I think we're going to see, because it, it sets a broader picture here for Timothy and how uh, his calling uh, as a, a pastor fits into the larger calling of who this uh, ecclesia, this church is. And what is this group of, of people that, that that Timothy will be a, a shepherd, uh, of whom Timothy will be a shepherd? Uh, and and uh, we'll see here the familial language that that, that, that is played into this, which isn't we, we actually, we have a good idea of this if you're familiar with the scriptures, because this is the place where Paul throughout, uh, and, and even our Lord, uses terms such as brothers, right? Or brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, we know that the church is a family uh, and, and that we have a, a, a God who is our father, right? And we are children of God by by faith. And, and in fact, you know, uh, Paul gets into this when he's talking with the Galatians, when he's talking about the idea of um, there's no longer in Galatians 3, no, no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. We're all one in Christ. And then being one in Christ and in his church, uh, the language that is used then of those who are justified by faith are uh, seen then more in their salvation than uh, as being a family being brothers and, and sisters uh, in, in this household of faith. So this household of faith is a huge theme uh, that, that Paul picks up on. And, and it really does kind of display how we should be talking about uh, our callings as Christians one to another and how we, we deal with one another uh, with this more this understanding of familial terms. Uh, so, so we have that kind of language, and Paul has already kind of used it a little bit as well, talking about the household of God uh, and 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 being um, members of this household of God. So he'll pick up on this again, and I think it helps to set the stage for when we're dealing with things like widows or elders or deacons or things like that. It does help us to understand that the relationships we have in the church are different than uh anything else than you have anywhere else. It's, it's not like the, the, the civil realm of things, but we deal with one another in the church in that love that is uh, the love of, of a family and a love that um, finds its place in God as our father and, and Christ as, as our brother. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk more about that. We'll get into that a little bit more if we want to talk about what we means by elders here uh, or, or this great idea of this idea of uh, parakaleo, this idea of encouragement. But um, well, I, I think I mean I think you're right, right on to see the familial language in this text, and really I mean as as you were talking, it it starts to open up the rest of First Timothy to see it elsewhere. It, just in the very previous text in four six. Paul says, if you put these things before the brothers, and we talked about that yesterday as to whether or not, you know, is, is Timothy, is Paul there telling Timothy brothers in the sense of the whole household of God, or is he talking more specifically to the pastors? And we came to the conclusion that it was, no, this is the whole household of God when he talks about brothers. And I, I mean, as listening to you, I think rightly so, that it very much fits in the context, which I, I, this is just a, a very important thing for, for Timothy as a pastor to approach those to whom he has given to minister as his family members. 
He's, he's not to approach them as his enemies or his adversaries. He's not to approach them as, I mean, to think just the other, you know, in, as you mentioned, the civil realm, this is not sort of his, uh, just his, you know, this is my duty and nothing else. But this is actually his family that he's dealing with. And that's certainly true for pastors. And that's that's very true for all Christians, that we would see each other as as the family of God. I think you mentioned how Jesus does this. You know, Jesus talks about who are my mother and brothers and sisters. It's these disciples around me who are hearing the word of God and and believing it and doing it. And, and that's, I mean, that's just a huge realization, and, certainly and, for pastors yeah, and for all Christians. Go ahead. Yeah. And I think it does pick up on something because you, you brought up what, what Jesus was saying there too in Mark's gospel. He says it several times in the gospels uh, about, yeah, who, who are these? And, and, in the context of, 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 of Paul's day, I think we have it today too, but especially in the early church, you had, uh, and, and our Lord predicted this in his gospels, you had the, the, the separation of families uh, because of the faith, right? Uh, and, and one uh, member of the family becomes a believer, especially under times of persecution, and they are cut off from the rest of their family, right? A lot of times you have households that are converted and whole whole blood families coming into the church, thanks be to God. But often, and it still happens today, uh, you know, a faithful um, uh, Christian might be uh, shunned by their unbelieving family for their faith and for their confession. And I think that's what uh, Jesus is getting at in Mark's gospel. When, you know, this is when uh, uh, I think it's Peter that says, look, Lord, we've left all these things to follow you. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for the sake, for my sake or for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, uh, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution in the age to come eternal life. What this does in the sets up, and I think really plays into to, to, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, is, is there's a difference between what is um, manifest and obvious in the world. That is um, the loss of family uh, for the faith or the, the you know, uh, loss of land or whatnot. But then there's also the reality of his gospel and what is taken on. And, and this is beautiful because I think this does relate so much to the idea of widows is no Christian is left alone. Uh, the family might abandon them for their faith or, you know, they might lose all things and even their life for the gospel. But what you take on as a Christian is a larger family, which is the church, uh, the, the, the church universal, the church at large, right? And that those people who are with you and gathered with you around God's word and his sacraments called together, uh, even if your whole family forsakes you, you have them as your family for that same purpose that God gave you your blood and your earthly family for the support and needs of body and life body and soul. Uh, and, and so I think it's just a beautiful way that we, Paul sets up and starts talking about the church uh, in terms of these uh, familial language so that you get to the point, well, why do you have a mother? Why do you have, a, why did God give you a mother or a father or brothers or sisters? Well, because family is what we need for the support and needs of our body and life. It's a good created gift from God. And in a sinful fallen world, and especially for those who will lose their family either to death like uh, um, a, a widow losing their husband, or for the faith, those who would lose their family because they, 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 they're cut off from their family because they have uh, been called by their Lord into his church. Uh, well, how much more do they get then 
so much more in the brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers uh, of their fellow believers who are, again, uh, called together with uh, God as their father, Christ as their brother. So as we dig into these first couple of verses, then let's start with the verb, the encourage him as you would a father, because it seems that that verb is going to be applicable to all, all these groups, the younger men, the older women, the younger, yeah, the younger men, older women, younger women, that all of these are going to need this encouragement. So let's right. start with the verb that's given. Yeah. And, and first he, he says, don't rebuke, right? Do not rebuke. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's an important one because that actually is a very unique word. Uh, I was looking it up and, and it, 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 it's not the same kind of rebuke like you have in the gospels where uh, that's, that's epitamao, where, where uh, Peter rebukes Jesus when he says he's going to go to the cross or, or in Luke's gospel, Jesus is rebuking the unclean spirits or rebuking uh, Peter's mother-in-law's fever, uh, that kind of thing. This is actually, uh, I think, in a little bit of work I was doing on this word and looking at this word, comes from the root to strike. So it's this violent kind of word of rebuke. Uh, so, so it's not to say that th- th- there's no place for Paul ever to, or, or Timothy as a pastor to ever uh, rebuke, like, like our Lord does sin or, or evil. No, but uh, the purpose of Paul's office and, and, and of Christians together as they, uh, the household of faith is for this idea of, uh, and I think the ESV translates it as encourage, right? Encourage. And this is, uh, this is a beautiful, um, beautiful verb. It's, you know, you can't pick your favorite uh, Greek words, but this is one of my favorites because this is where we get the word paraclete, right? For the Holy Spirit. So this idea of encourage or comfort, right? Comforting. Uh, Encourage one another. Uh, And what I found in looking at this word throughout Paul in in the letter to Timothy as well, it's used sometimes and translated as urge uh, or encourage, or or I think comforts is still a nice way to do it. But so often we find that this isn't some vague sense of uh, encourage, like, you know, motivational posters or something like that for one another. Uh, There's a deeper understanding when uh, parakaleo, this word for encourage is used by Paul and throughout the scriptures. How is one encouraged? Well, they're encouraged by the gospel, by the good news, or they're encouraged for the sake of the gospel. Because I think it's important that we see that this word is the Holy Spirit word, the paraclete word. Uh, God works through his word to comfort, to encourage. Uh, And he works through the mouth of, of Timothy, as the pastor, but even through the mutual consolation uh, of brothers and sisters in Christ uh, to encourage and to build one another up, not in some vague sense, but in the very gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the true encouragement, that's what uh, Paul is directing Timothy to do, uh, because that is how the household of faith is, is built up. Uh, that's how uh, it, it is strengthened and how it continues uh, as we live in these relationships with one another. I, I think you're exactly right to to see in this verb encourage, comfort, urge, it, not just some sort of generic be kind, treat treat the old the older man as a as a you would a father with respect with honor, but but rather that in this verb this encourage, it is much more specific. Give them the word of God, and to go back to yesterday's text, although that's not the same verb that's used there, you get the familial language. In verse in four, verse six, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. What is it that the family of God needs? They need the encouragement of the word of God, of the sound, healthy doctrine that Paul's been giving Timothy. That's the encouragement that they need. 
and and so certainly there is that aspect of treating each other in the family of Christ as family members, not being rude, being kind, all those things that your parents told you when you were interacting with your siblings, be those things. That's a part of it. Mm -hmm. But this encouragement that Paul is giving Timothy to give to the various family members within the household of God, it is very specifically the encouragement, the comfort that comes from the word of God, particularly the fact that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I Paul, Timothy, whoever it is of I, Christian, I am the foremost. That's the encouragement that all of us need together, even as we have our specific vocations, which is where, of course, Paul's going to take this as the the epistle continues. So feel free to respond to that if you want to, Pastor Wargo, or you can start. I mean, well, yeah, go ahead. No, no, that's great. Uh, I think we often think, and this is our old sinful nature, we often think of true uh, teaching or doctrine as being a, a hindrance to our relationships and to our comforting or encouraging of one another, right? We like to keep things uh, vague or simple because uh, that's more encouraging because uh, we don't want to face uh, our faults uh, or, or, or the sins that take place. But you can't have that true encouragement or that true comfort apart from God's word of law and God's word of gospel, right? Uh, which reveals then our sins, but then uh, comforts us with the forgiveness of sins. Uh, to ignore those sorts of things is no encouragement and no comfort at all. Uh, no, nothing that has lasting or eternal uh, uh, benefit. Uh, I, I, but, you know, and especially because I see this word comfort, right? Um, and, and I'm drawn to the words of Isaiah. Uh, I'm also drawn to, I mean, we're not too far away. We're about a month away from Advent, right? And we're going to be hearing uh, uh, that beautiful hymn, Comfort, Comfort Ye My People, right? Uh, and that's it's the, really the, the same idea and the same thing for the Old Testament and the prophets speaking. Uh, where does true comfort come? It comes from the propitiation for our sins through the blood of Christ. It comes from the Messiah. Uh, and and you can't have that Messiah if you're ignoring his, his word. You can't have the Christ and his truth and purity if you brush aside uh, his his teaching or you put up with 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 false teaching you know, that's a false comfort uh, the true comfort that we have or the true encouragement might not a feel very comfortable at times might not be seem that encouraging at times but again it's off of us it's on Christ's word, which we are then given, and Paul's given, Timothy's given as stewards of uh, to speak and to give what, and, and to, to cast and let the Lord provide the fruit of it as he works through, through that external word. Now, this encouragement, Paul, in this introduction to this section, says to Timothy, encourage particularly first an older man as you would a father, and then he, he continues, younger men as brothers, Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. Take us into the various applications he gives in these two verses. Right. So um, he, he he's taking kind of what would be general, just an, an older man. And I, I know this word uh, elder, uh, presbytero, presbyteros, it, it's, it's sometimes used for a church office, right? Uh, the elder, uh, synonymous with pastor, if you will. Uh, but it can also be used, as I think it is here, simply as talking about older older people, old men or young men, kind of this general thing. And then he draws it into the familiar thing. And same thing with contrast, the old with the young, uh, young men or young women, those will be brothers, sisters, uh, because there, there, there is a new relationship. I think we've hit on this a little bit, but just to reemphasize, there's a new relationship that is formed by our baptism into Christ, our baptisms into Christ, uh, where God is our father and we are brothers and sisters through the water uh, and the word. Uh, and But then 
and I think that's related to this too, this idea of encouragement, then Paul ends with, uh, and if you break down the sentence, you know, so don't rebuke an older man, encourage him. And for that matter, as a, as you would a father, and for that matter, young men as brothers, old women as mothers, that matter, young women as sisters, these different categories. But then we don't want to miss that last word, in all purity, right? In all purity. And that word purity is another one that's it's a very interesting word. It's a very unique word to Paul's letter here uh, into the Holy Scriptures uh, as a whole, but it's very much linguistically related to a very familiar word, which is holiness, right? Uh, uh, it's very similar to the idea of of, of, of being holy, which, which I think really should draw our attention to the Holy Christian Church when we're talking about the household of faith, and, and especially what we confess in the Apostles' Creed when we talk about the third article that I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, holy, holy, uh, 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 the, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, how all these things are, 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 are holy things that God has given to us as holy people, not holy in ourselves, because this idea of purity is never something we find in ourselves. So this encouragement uh, in, pure, in all purity is not something that Paul's or Timothy should be directing these people to to anything within themselves, but but true holiness, true purity is that which comes from the Holy One, the pure one, our Lord, uh, and which he gives to us through his word and through his sacraments as he, as he feeds and nourishes us with those things so that we then live sanctified lives, lives walking in all purity and holiness and what we teach and what we think and what we say and how we live for one another. And this is, again, going to get into the specifics of the widow in the next section and how she and her uh, changing in her vocation that has taken place in her life with the loss of her husband uh, is still directed to be encouraged in that purity. And we're going to pick that up on the other side of the break, the instructions now, specifically the encouragement that is given to widows through the pastoral office. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, November 3rd. We're looking at 1 Timothy 5, verses 1 through 16. We've got Pastor Sam Wergau with us. He serves at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Ossian, Indiana. Pastor Wergau, prior to the break, we looked at this introduction that Paul gives to this larger section concerning encouragement in the gospel for people in the church in their various vocations. And the the rest of our text deals with the encouragement that is to be given to widows. And so in verse three, as Paul begins this instruction to Timothy, he says, honor widows who are truly widows. So the place to start is, well, the matter of widows, what is a widow? And if we've been reading along with the scriptures, this shouldn't be too surprising. What is the place of the widow in the scriptures as a whole? Right. I mean, in one sense, it's pretty obvious. I think, you know, most people know what a widow is. I think, 
we're a little bit insulated in our present circumstances and our present cultural climate. Although I think it's just a little more hidden. Uh, but the widows of the Old Testament and the widows of Christ's time and the widows of Paul's time and even, you know, through the centuries of the church, uh, were in a state where they were in a, again, it was a change in their vocation, but it was also a, a major loss uh, to a widow in that they've lost um, security and livelihood. Now, again, our present context doesn't have that quite as much. I think it still is a deep scar, and in, in but it's it's uh, hidden or glossed over. Perhaps uh, we have in our present uh, context, especially in our country, we have a good way of putting uh, cosmetic makeup over uh, the deep scars that we have. Uh, they were a lot more obvious in Paul's time because the loss of of a husband or loss of a spouse in that sense was not only um, the loss of your closest neighbor, who's your very own flesh, which is bad enough, but it's also the loss of security, livelihood, um, especially, and that's why I think Paul picks up this and puts this modifier on it, truly widows. That is, he'll, he'll describe it as the true widow is the one who is, is uh, truly uh, left all alone. That is, they're without husband, without children, without anyone to care for them. And then what he's going to say here is the widow is truly left alone, has set her hope in God. Because regardless of the change in her vocations or what is lost to her in this life, she has the faithfulness of the Lord uh, who will not abandon her precisely because he is the eternal one and he is the one who has purchased and won her and called her to himself to be with her uh, uh, and faithful to her forever. Death cannot claim our Lord. It didn't, uh, I mean, Jesus died on the cross, but he rose again. And, and there is that greatest comfort that we have, which is why the true godly widow is the one who trusts in the Lord, uh, even if she's lost everything else. And again, I think this ties in a little bit what we were talking about uh, before the break, right? When it comes to this household and family of God, it's different than the worldly things we have. Though those created things are good, they are all corrupted by sin, therefore they don't last. So even if we lose, uh, I'm thinking of a Mighty Fortress now, of course, that's going to be pretty <laughs> pretty uh, fresh in our minds. Take they our lives, good fame, child and wife, though these all be gone, our victory has been won. That is, the widow who has lost all these things, who is truly widow, has set her hope in the Lord. She trusts in the Lord Jesus, even when she has nothing for all intents and purposes or for all that the eye would see. Yeah, a mighty fortress was running through my mind in the first half of the program as well, that particular line. And to understand there that the kingdom ours remaineth in the very fullest sense, that it includes all the people of the kingdom, this full household of God, this full family of God still remains ours when we've lost everything in this life. And when you think of someone who has lost everything in this life, a, a widow is the the best example of that, as you said, she's lost her own flesh in the death of her husband. She's had this unwilling change in vocation it was not something that she had desired. And yet the, the vocation has been changed from wife to widow. And, and because of that, because of everything that she has lost throughout the scriptures, we see that, that the widows are among those who are, are very often identified as those 
whom the Lord cares for particularly, and in that same token, those for whom the church is to care for particularly. And in that vein, then, Paul brings them up. So honor widows, but he makes a qualification who are truly widows. And it seems that a good chunk of the rest of this text then deals with the matter of determining who truly is a widow and then the honor that the church is to give to that person who is truly a widow. So let's let's start digging into the nuts and bolts of what Paul says. Right, exactly. I really like how you did this idea. Not only does the Lord care for the widows, but it's the Lord's church. So this is what the church is charged with. Uh, even so much as, and I think this really does relate precisely to what we're dealing with here in Acts 6, right? Um, uh, when the deacons are instituted, uh, it was over uh, disputes that arose over uh, uh, the care of widows, right? And so I think then we're seeing this, and this is what Paul's going to mean when he talks about enrolling widows. But yeah, exactly. So he says truly widows. Uh, but then he he does draw back the attention of uh, of another vocation that that you do have. So if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. And I love this, to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing <laughs> in the sight of God. Because uh, that that's timeless, right? That, that, that doesn't change. And I think we even deal with this and this encouragement of Timothy, of Paul, that, that Paul tells to Timothy is to be encouraging and, and honoring widows. But but you're not off the hook as a child or a grandchild, for that matter, once you reach 18 and move out of the house, right? Uh, the, the fourth commandment applies through the whole life and how we honor our father and mother. Uh, it, and it's a deeper meaning than simply I mean, what does the fourth commandment have to do with nothing? You know, it's love to the neighbor and even your neighbor, which is your family, right? Uh, and so I like this idea of return, right? Uh, because it, it shows that your family is, blood family is still your family. If you have children or grandchildren, we, we as children and grandchildren ought to be providing for and loving uh, the whole household of faith for sure. But especially those who are God has given to us in our callings in life to be able to to provide for and care for, uh, you know, people have different situations, and of course, every situation is different when we when we deal with this and how uh, how you relate to your your parents or your grandparents in in in, in the older years of their life. But there is an overarching, we should be without, we shouldn't have excuses for why we wouldn't love and therefore also help and provide for their bodily needs and their spiritual needs as they've helped and provided for us early on in life. Uh, And you do see this. I mean, godly children will care for those parents uh, that God has given them throughout their life and every station and every season of life as they do change and as it becomes more, maybe more difficult uh, in life to continue to have that gift that God has given you of parents and to continue to serve and love your parents uh, and provide for them. So again, that's Paul wouldn't have those qualified as truly widow, right? Because they do have, they might have lost their spouse, which is tragic and is difficult, but they still have those ways which God provides through the means of children or grandchildren. And I mean, that's that's right there in the commandments. The fourth commandment, which I think you mentioned, honor your father and your mother, continues to apply to the child, no matter how old the child is and no matter how old the parents are. That commandment continues to apply. And I, 
it's it's quite interesting to see the how Paul holds that up, even in the context of the fact, I mean, as we were talking before the break, the family of God, that I've got a new family in Christ, that that it goes beyond my flesh and blood. But that doesn't negate the flesh and blood that God did give me according to the fourth commandment, that I'm still the child of my parents and I still owe them my honor. I think there would be the danger to over-spiritualize this and and say, and, and maybe this is, and I don't know exactly what's in the background per se, but it would be easy perhaps to say, well, look, my parents, they've got their church family to take care of them. And, and that's the family that that is theirs forever, even, even greater than this earthly family. So I'm just going to let the church take care of them and not fulfill my responsibility as a son. And Paul won't let you do that. He won't right. let you get more spiritual than God. <laughs> and, and I mean, the danger is, I think, to to do what essentially the Pharisees were doing to allow one of our thoughts to trump what God has actually said. And is it, I mean, it's, oh man, is it in Matthew 15 where it is the fourth commandment that's mm-hmm. in question there yeah. as, as he's dealing with their traditions and, and how they're using that to go above and beyond trying to get more spiritual than God. And Paul won't let you do that here. Don't, don't try to use this fact that you have a family in Christ that goes beyond your own flesh and blood mm-hmm. to negate the family that God did give you. Continue to keep the fourth commandment. Right. And this is something Luther railed against with the monasticism, right? Uh, right. Exactly. Like they were abandoning their chief callings in life of uh, in relation to the fourth commandment to go off to monasteries, right? Uh, and this idea is that that was somehow more spiritual. Uh, but But no. God gives us his commands, which seem very ordinary, and he gives us our, 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 our duties in life and how we are to serve uh, him and serving our neighbor, which seem mundane. Uh, but that's precisely where God has called us to, and it's what we need. And this ordering that God gives of father and mother, uh, husband and wife, uh, parents and children is a beautiful order course, corrupted by sin and our failings in all of this, but by which we, as the people of God and even the household of faith, go about everything sanctified by the word of God in prayer. These created orders that God has given us uh, are not evil things, and they're things that God has sanctified, and which he calls us as Christians then to live uh, in love to our neighbor in these various callings in life. And and you're right, the point you brought up is, yeah, we don't over-spiritualize this to say that, oh, well, the church is there to take care of, uh, you know, uh, my my mom's who, who's a widow, because that's what Paul closes out this section with is to say, no, they need to, the church is there for the truly widowed. Uh, and if, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them, that the church not be burdened, right? There are limited resources to what to how God works through the church, and he does work through the church, but it is limited, of course, in its capacity. And so very, it's kind of practical or pragmatic, if you will, in this sense, when we're dealing with earthly gifts, that where the church is limited, if the family is there to provide for the widow— the family ought to. And, and, and Paul will, as the church, you know, provide for the spiritual needs as, you know, that's, 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 that's given for, uh, for the church to do. But when it comes to this registration or these temporal needs, and the church is there to help with that too, where it is needed. And that is, again, the one who has lost all things uh, and can be then provided for uh, through, through the church. 
So one of the distinctions between those who are truly widows and those who are not is the distinction of what other family does she have? Does she have children and grandchildren to take care of her? Then they should do that. And in that sense, this section begins to speak not only to the widows, but to her actual physical family and how they are to continue to bear responsibility to the mother, the grandmother that God has given them. So that's that's one of the distinctions is to look at the rest of the the family. That's sort of the the outside. And and notice, I mean, Paul has some pretty harsh words. I don't want to skip past those. He has some pretty harsh words for those who won't provide for their relatives. He says that's that's as good as denying the Christian faith. That's that's verse eight. Worse than an unbeliever, even. Even the pagans know that you take care of your mom when your dad has died. Right. And and if you're a Christian and you don't do that, that's that's denying the faith. That's pretty harsh language. It is, but I mean, the law is harsh and I mean, we need to hear it and not glance over yeah. it. Uh, I think it's very important for us to understand that our faith uh, issues forth in the new obedience and the good works that we do, um, especially for the members of the of, of our own household and for the household of faith, that we don't gloss over these things. And, and so I think Paul speaks these words to Timothy because people need to hear that. Uh, the idea we, I mean, this not to overgeneralize, but, but in verse six, especially that she was self-indulgent, right? And this idea of being dead even while she lives. That is the one who is, is turned in upon herself, her, her himself. I mean, this idea of self-dulgent doesn't necessarily just have to apply to, to, to women for sure. Uh, this is the warning that that you're not turned in upon yourself into your own needs, into your own desires. Uh, James uses this in five in chapter five, uh, uh, to live on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, fatting your heart for the day of slaughter. Uh, again, that's, an, that's the idea the Christian doesn't live for himself. He lives for his neighbor. Uh, and that's true where all the commandments direct uh, us to live uh, in faith to God and love to God and and to love uh, love your neighbor uh, uh, as yourself. But it, it really, when we talk about loving your neighbor as yourself, it's not at the same level, but loving your neighbor uh, in the stead of yourself, really living outward, uh, giving giving yourself for your neighbor and not for your own benefit. And that's really how we're directed uh, with, to bear these fruits of faith. Um, uh, and so, yeah, again, harsh words, uh, and especially when he talks about being dead, even while she lives, that is living in unbelief and in, and in the fruits of unbelief, which are, which are sin. Uh, and the call here, and the reason Paul is pointing this out to Timothy is, 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 is not to say, you know, it's to call out what is wrong with that. And as God's law always does, it's a call to repentance, even for the one who is self-indulgent, that she would uh, die to sin and and rise again, right? Or he or she would die to sin and and rise again to live with Christ through repentance and through faith. Uh, Because it's the hope of, again, Paul picks this up earlier in this letter, God's hope is not that anyone deny the faith or be an unbeliever, but that all uh, reach repentance and, and come to saving faith in Christ and so live in in love to one another. Well, and, and that that verse, verse six, the matter of self-indulgent, really then gets to the, the second matter that Paul talks about. On the one hand, 
what defines who is truly a widow and who is not has to do with what family members she may have. And it also has to do with the widow herself. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's that's where, and again, he's got both things to say, the the positive and the negative sides of it. Take us into some of some more of that, Pastor Wergau, as to what is it about the widow herself, not the family now, but herself, that defines who is truly a widow, who's going to be enrolled and cared for by the church right. versus who is not. Right. And we might think these list of qualifications that she kind of goes, that I should say Paul goes into here in 10, at nine and 10. Well, we get the age idea. Okay. And then listing off all of the good works that she has done, right? She's been hospitable. She's washed the feet of the saints. She's cared for the afflicted. These good fruits of faith, these are the ones that are going to be enrolled. Uh, we need to be aware that this isn't just simply a list of showing what a godly widow is, but it, it's to show and contrast it with this self-indulgent ness uh, of, of the other side of things, but that this is then the sacrificial life. This is how all widows should have lived in their life uh, as the proper fruits of faith. Uh, and, and so Paul lays out here then, this this is, uh, again, the widows who would be enrolled. Uh, and, and that, well, he notes at first that the idea that uh, not less than 60 years of age. So this is an older widow, presumably won't be getting married again, right? Uh, and, and the idea that this is one who um, would be uh, uh, a candidate for the uh, resources that the church could could provide. Uh, and so, um, but then in, then in 11, he says, refuse to enroll the younger widow, because really, really what it gets to is the idea here is that the younger widow uh, ought to could and ought to uh, be married again and to continue to live in her vocation um, that God had called her to and had changed then with her loss of her spouse. Uh, if that kind of makes sense. But, but you know, they seem like harsh words when he's talking about idlers, busybodies, and contrasting the, the fruits of unbelief and the fruits of faith. But it is the fact of the matter that we deal with this in the church is, is the Christians are not perfect, but the Christians are also ones who dying to sin and rising and walk in this newness of life and, and live uh, uh, according to what God has commanded in, again, not self-indulgently, but self-sacrificially. I wonder if maybe a, a good way to think about these the second part of the address concerning widows versus 9 through 16 might be to think through the example that we see in the Old Testament of two widows, Naomi and Ruth, as as maybe an example, Naomi being an example of the older widow who would be enrolled or cared for by her family, which is what actually ends up happening. Mm -hmm. And Ruth then being the younger widow who, who does not turn to any of the things that Paul lists, the idling, the gossip, the busybody, mm-hmm. the the self-indulgence of verse six, but rather what do you see from Ruth all along after she becomes a widow? She sticks with her mother-in-law, Naomi, going home to going to her home, to Naomi's home. She she goes to glean in the field of Boaz. She doesn't, I mean, she doesn't even really presume. Well, she does presume upon his kindness, but not in a self-indulgent way, not in an idling way. She's she's known among Boaz's workers as one of the hardest workers out there, mm-hmm. gleaning all the time. She doesn't take all of her gleanings for herself, but she gives freely to her mother-in-law, Naomi. 
and then she does end up marrying. She marries Boaz, who then who then cares for. Her. I mean, I think I think when you go through just those those four, it's a short book. You can read it <laughs> in, in a, a very short time. You you see a good example of of both things happening there in Ruth and in Naomi. Now, of course, that's not the the ultimate purpose of the book of of Ruth and Naomi. The ultimate purpose is, and we we studied that on Sharper Iron. Mm-hmm back when we did judges but but the ultimate i mean the ultimate purpose is to give you jesus <laughs> but but there is that right use of the examples of the saints to see in the saints a, a, a model an example of vocation i think i think when you you put ruth and naomi into these words some of that what strikes us maybe as harsh language toward widows goes away and you see an application of what Paul's talking about. I know that's the old Testament, but I think you, I think there's some continuity there. I don't know. What do you think? Pastor no, that's Rogel? great. Uh, yeah, I totally missed that, but you got it. That's great. That's perfect. I, I think that's a, a beautiful way to see the examples of the saints. Cause I think it, it paints the bigger picture for us that again, we've talked about this as difficult as the loss of a, a spouse can be in this change of vocation. Uh, your callings in life and, and, and what happens in your life we never have a justification to depart from how God would have us live and how God has directed us to live by his word, right? And faith in him and in fervent love toward one another. The Lord provides and he will continue to provide uh, even our physical needs, the, our daily bread that we need, um, uh, even for those who have have lost that which is closest to them and even have lost in a sense their livelihood. The Lord is, the Lord is faithful and he will provide. He will either do it through family, right? Uh, but, or, or he will do it through, through his church. The Lord will continue to provide all that we need for both body and soul. And, and we're directed in, in repentance and faith to live not as, again, busybodies, gossips, idlers, or anything like that, but to live uh, as God has called us to live in our various callings in life, again, in love to our neighbor uh, and, and to provide for their needs, even as they provide for us. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that that example that you put forward is perfect. <laughs> so, Pastor Wargo, we got about three minutes here on the morning to, to kind of wrap things up. There's obviously tons of, of text here, and we're not getting into every single details, but as you, as you think through this section as a whole, the instructions to widows, the encouragement that we talked about, how do we want to wrap this text up and, and use it to point us to Christ crucified? Oh yeah, very good. Because we want to keep doing that too, right? We don't want to make this uh, Paul turn into just a list of uh, Christian virtues. Uh, but all those virtues, of course, stem from from what God has provided for us for the sake of Christ Jesus, our Lord, uh, in the household of faith. Yeah, this is, this again, when we do, deal with widows, when we deal with uh, our relationships within the church as family, again, I think this is directed to our, to our duties and our vocations in life. I think it's beautiful. I hadn't pointed out yet that this passage, um, or part of this passage, uh, specifically verses five and, and, and six, Luther uses in his table of duties as an appendix to a small catechism, which I think we often get the whole catechism, the six chief parts, and sometimes we miss these, uh, uh, the, the appendix of the daily prayers and, and, and the appendix of the table of duties. But this is how Luther uh, used, the scripture Luther uses to direct, this is how uh, we are to live in our various callings in life. But there's a big picture that's painted about all of this, uh, how we pick up our lessons. So in one sense, our various vocations are very distinct and unique. A widow is not the same as a wife. 
right? Uh, a husband is not the same as a widower. A child's not the same as a father. Obviously, these very obvious, distinct duties that are given to each pastor is not the same as his people. However, the big picture about how God would have us and call us to live that we see laid out in here, and you see it in verse 5, is in faith to God. So she's lost everything in this life. She puts her hope in God. She trusts in the Lord Jesus even when she has nothing. And she continues night and day in prayer to ask God for help. And then we live in faith to God, in faith which speaks, the voice uh, speaks in prayer, and then also in fervent love toward one another. So that, again, the widow won't live self-indulgently, contrary to God's word to curved in upon herself to, to feed her own desires, but she will continue to live self-sacrificially as she did when she had a husband. And what's true for the widow is true for all Christians in their various callings in life, that we don't live self-indulgently, but that we live self-sacrificially because Christ is the one who gave us all things, who gives us by giving himself for our sins on the cross, has won for us redemption and the forgiveness of sins, that we are baptized in his name, that we have died to sin and risen to walk in this newness of life, so that now we don't live for ourselves because we have eternal life in Christ and in his name. We live for each other. We live for one another, and we show that same love that has first been shown to us. So love is not First, that we love God, but that he has loved us and given his son as the propitiation for our sins. And then from that, then, we are called in our various stations in life not to justify ourselves and depart from God's word, but to live as justified children of God uh, and as children to listen to our Heavenly Father and how he has instructed us to live, which is the best way to live. Pastor Sam Wergau is the pastor at Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Austin, Indiana, helping us this morning with 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16. Pastor Wergau, thanks for being our guest today. Oh, always a pleasure. Thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.